So the malls are going to put away their Christmas decorations. The radio stations have already abandoned Christmas songs, right? You're trying to throw away the wrapping paper and your kids are bored with their toys already. Um, Or maybe not, right? But uh, Santa's going to go on vacation and he won't return until next Thanksgiving. The elf on the shelf is going to be an elf in a box, right? And, And everything else moves on. I'm so grateful that Jesus is still alive and he's on the throne today. His purpose didn't change. He's not relegated to a season while everything else is. When we take down our Christmas lights and put out our Christmas trees, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still speaking to us. He's still drawing us to himself. He still desires to transform our lives. He's not on vacation. He's not taking a nap. He's not exhausted from the holidays. (laughs) My wife just laughed. Like, oh, exhausted from the holidays. But Jesus isn't exhausted from this. He's glorified by it and through it as we worship him in spirit and in truth. He's on the throne and he's still seeking after those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is still looking to uh, transform our community. He's still looking to change your life. He's still looking to sanctify you. That means that he wants to get the junk out your life. His purposes are unchanged even though we transition into a New Year's moment. And our minds are going to turn towards things like resolutions and and new things. and, And in that way, we join God a little bit, but his heart continues to stay the same. And so as we think about this, um, I want to make sure that in this transition season that we make sure that we keep God's priorities as our priorities. And we don't let the busyness of the season, we don't let our weariness from the season be the things that drive our heart and our calendar and, and our resources. You with me? Today we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I lied. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses uh, 14 through 17. And I want to look at um, how God desires for us to respond and interact with one another. As we go into the new year and we make all these uh, New Year's resolutions and uh, promises to ourselves, most of the time they're focused on us. Most of our resolutions are focused on my passion and my desire for myself. I want to be a better person. I want to lose weight. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be happy. I want to be fed. I want to be less fed and less happy. (laughs) But oftentimes our, our resolutions are focused on ourselves. And when I was reading this passage this week, preparing for this message, something struck me. Um, there's a, there's a passage that we quote often and it's verse 17. Actually, let me just read the whole passage and then, and then I'll share this observation with you. And then I want to look at the two ways that God wants to change our, change our lives and then uh, just kind of dream with you about what's possible if we allow God to do this in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the, lo- for the love of God, Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus, help us as we study. Amen. Uh, The first observation is that uh, he says, according to the flesh. Now, in, in the Bible, when you see the word flesh, it can refer to a number of different things. Sometimes the word flesh is used to refer to our sinful nature. Right? So we are fleshly. It, it refers to our natural longings and, and desires, our lustful desires, our sinful desires, our, our kind of our, our, our skewed desires away from God. It's the things that we want because we want them and for no other reason. The word flesh can also just refer to a body like the skin. Somebody's flesh was torn. It refers to their body. Flesh in this case is actually speaking of uh, just naturally minded. Regard no one according to the natural, just kind of what you see. So it's a little bit more than our skin, and it's more than our sinful nature. It's just seeing them as, as John. I see John, and I think about John, and I think about John by how John is. But I don't see any purpose or meaning beyond the fact that he's John. You with me? Y'all are quiet today. You with me? Regard according to the flesh, the worldly eyes, right? Okay, whew, y'all gonna make me work. Um, This is the thing that stuck out to me freshly as I read it this time. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, anytime there's a therefore, we need to ask, what is it there for? And in this case, the therefore is compound tremendously in 2 Corinthians 5. It's like therefore, and then you look up and you're like, there's a therefore, and there's a therefore there. And you chase it back and you're like, where am I going to? It goes all the way back to the fear of the Lord, uh, which is ahead of the passage that we see here. And then second to that, we see that the love of Christ, it changes us, it controls us, it binds us in is actually the word that the control, you, the word control there is the, the love of God controls us. It means it holds us in, it binds us in, but it also compels us. It's the thing that drives us. It's the thing that moves us. And because the thing that moves us is the Holy Spirit, is this change, is this love of God, uh, we are new creations. Okay, now this, but this is what stuck out to me that was different. I'm always thinking of it in terms of the first person. I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I know it seems simple, and I think that oftentimes when we read the Bible, we we read it in the first person immediately. Like we read it in the third person, and we're like, that's a promise for me, so it's about me. But really, it's in this case, I'm, I'm a beneficiary of this, but it's actually training me in how to interact with you. Okay, so it's actually not, well, I've always, I don't know why, but I've always, because I'm selfish. That's why. And and I'm self-centered and I'm a little myopic. Myopic, you can't really see very far. So you think about yourself, your needs are your own needs. Paul is instructing the people in 2 Corinthians in this this letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. He's saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, regard them in this way. Think about the people in your life this way. Now, the reason I'm a beneficiary of it is when you're supposed to think about me, you're supposed to think about me as a new creation, the old being gone, the new being coming. It blew my mind. 
Because sometimes what happens with this passage especially is, you know, the old is gone and the new has come. Someti- who, who got saved and went to the mirror and was a little disappointed? That you still had acne or your nose was big or your ears were long or your hair was going. Nobody else? But you get saved and you're like, everything, the old is gone and the new has come. And you stand in the front of the mirror and you're like, the new looks a lot like the old. And then you have that encounter with your, with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your kids and you, you lose your cool. And you're like, I thought I was saved. Why am I still angry? Where is this new? Right? But then, have you ever, so that's the wrestle in our own soul. The benefit of this passage is that when I see you walking with Jesus, when I see you being controlled, conformed, bound in by the Holy Spirit, I see the change in you more easily than I see the change in me. And so when I see the change in you, I'm going to start talking to you about who you are and how you are and what God desires to do in you. Sometimes it's just a statement of faith. But it's a, that's why I love pe- calling people man of God. I've actually learned how to learn names. But I love calling you men, man of God. What's up, man of God? How you doing, man of God? If I text you, it's probably going to be, hey, man of God, can you do this? Because what I want to do is I want to call you up into that which God is calling you to. Woman of God, I, yeah, I guess I could do that. But WOG, I actually abbreviate it. It's M-O-G, Mog, right? And it's like, hey, Mog, hey, man of God, right? But Wog, I just don't feel right about that. Wog, woman of God, I don't know. Stop judging me. Don't regard me according to the flesh. But the old is gone and the new has come. But this is a, this is a way in that we're supposed to recognize each other. And the way I'm a beneficiary of it, as I just said, is that you're going to regard me not according to just me. But you will regard me according to what Christ is doing in me. So the two things that I see in this passage are that God wants to change our priorities and change our perceptions. He says that those who live might not, not, may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We most, most naturally in our life, and even in our Christian life, stick to what we think is the most important. And we bring our priorities in because it's important to us. That is the most difficult thing about being married, is that, you know, you know what's important, but so does your spouse. And it's not often the same thing. Or your understanding of what's important is different. Or how it's important or how you'll respond to it being important is different. It's not just marriage. It's just marriage is the closest relationship on earth. And so it's, it's heightened there more than anywhere else. But it's that way at work. It's that way in your family. It's that way in your friendships that this priority is mine because of this reason. But this priority is mine because of this reason. So even if you have the same priority, it, it can be for conflicting reasons, right? God wants to give us new priorities, and the priorities he wants to give us are his own. And he's not just concerned with the priority, like getting the work done. He's concerned with the motivation of getting the work done. But when we live according to our, you can still live according to the flesh when you, when you give your life to Jesus, and you just clean yourself up and guess what's important to God. 
well, God, this is important to me. I love feeding cats. And so as a Christian, I'm going to save kittens. Right? God, I do believe that this is important, so I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, you know let me pick up a more serious example. You could decide that, you know what? There's enough food in the world to feed everybody who lives today. And because that's, that's a fact. Starvation isn't a God problem. It's a man problem. That we haven't made it enough of a priority to get food to the right places. And there's plenty in some places and nothing in other places, but because of selfishness and greed, sin, we haven't gotten it to the right place. But we take this and, you know, as a non-Christian, you can feel burdened to get food to the homeless. You can feel burdened to get food to those who are in need. So you become a Christian and you're like, this is the most important thing, but as long as you're still motivated by yourself, you haven't taken on God's priority. Does that make sense? Because your motivation is still your own. And the problem with it being your own is that oftentimes when we do things according to our own priority, we're the ones looking for the credit and the glory in the end. The difference in this case is who gets the glory when this is done to you. So as a Christian, you come in with a priority feeding, feeding those in need. You become a Christian and your priority can still stay feeding those in need. But your motivation as to who gets the glory needs to change. Does that make sense? But we can't continue looking at each other according to the natural. Because the natural is supposed to have died when we give our life to Christ. And it seems so hard, doesn't it, to take on the priorities of God when our own priorities are so strong? Galatians 2.20 echoes the same sentiment. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In a very real way, instead of living to our own priorities, we're supposed to be living to the priorities of Jesus because Jesus is actually supposed to be living through us. The Holy Spirit desires to do something. God desires to do something on the earth, and he wants to do it through us. He wants to live through me to be a blessing to you. And he wants, you, he wants to live through you to be a blessing to me, but not just to one another, but also to the world. Oh, this is exciting and terrifying. This is amazing and frustrating. I would just use myself if I was God. Because I love y'all, but you're messed up. I love me, but I'm messed up. And I'll fail at this. And God could do it perfectly, but yet he chooses to do it through you and me. This is amazing. It's an incredible invitation to allow Christ to live through us. I don't know. That's not the sermon, but that's exciting to me. God also wants to change our perceptions. Naturally, we see naturally. 
Even as Christians, we see naturally, like I see you and I see, you know, like I'm most able to understand what do you do for your job? How many kids do you have? Do you have, are you, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You know, what, what kind of life do you have? What kind of clothes do you have on? What, what, like that's how we see most naturally is this worldly perception. But, um, but God's asking us to see beyond that into something new. Michelangelo sculpted the statue David, which I'm told is enormous. I would put it up here, but I don't want to stumble anyone today. He's a big naked statue. So the statue of David um, is remarkable for a number of reasons. Um, among them, that, he, that they were able, even, even able to do that, to move the marble around and the chisel and the, to polish it into what these works of art are. Michelangelo said of this statue that he doesn't actually take credit for it. He just sees what's already in the marble and brings it out. So where everybody else sees marble, he sees the statue of David. I'd see a gigantic rock. He sees the statue of David. You and I see an alcoholic, God sees somebody who's hurting and needs to be drawn close to and given a new purpose and a new life and a new destiny. You see the person you hate at work. God sees somebody who needs a savior just as much as you did and continue to need. You with me? God sees somebody who doesn't speak English yet or you see somebody who doesn't speak English yet, and depending on your background and depending on how you were raised and your natural perception and your natural experience, depending on your worldly upbringing, you're going to view this person one way or the other. But what God sees is somebody who matters just as much as anybody else. Right? You see a, uh, a Trump bumper sticker in the parking lot next to the car with the Obama parking sticker or bumper sticker, and you think, what? Don't say it. <laughs> I am glad we, we, we are at a church where you might see both of those things. It's wildly inconvenient and wildly uncomfortable, and I know everybody's squirming a little bit right now because you're wondering, what's on his car? <laughs> the pastor answers, Jesus. Yeah, we'll just leave it awkward. <laughs> but how do you regard someone in the natural, according to the world, according to this plane? And we have these knee-jerk responses. There's this book, uh, I, I wasn't going to talk about it, it's called Blink. But you basically make up your mind about what you think about someone or something in a moment. You've decided whether or not you were going to come back to Grace Covenant Church pretty much when I opened. And I'll have to either change your mind, or during worship... But then you're like, okay, I'll give Sean and Heather a chance. They're all right. And then I get up, or Keith gets up, and you're like, all right, maybe. Then I get up, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> but we make up our mind right away. And, and we, you either, you, after that first couple minutes, you either spend time trying to recover and change somebody's opinion or reinforce the opinion they already have. But that's because we think according to the world. We think according to the flesh. If we're thinking according to the Spirit, you know all you need to know the second you walk in the door. 
you might know all you need to do before you even get out of the car. But what makes, what's most amazing about this statue of David is that Michelangelo actually used a chunk of marble that everybody else discarded and said it was, it was worthless. So not only did he take a huge chunk of marble, he took a chunk of marble that people said, we can't do anything with this. It's a piece of junk. And he looks at it and sees this statue that's going to shape art for however many years. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad that God doesn't just discard us because you were wild in college? Because you were a rebellious teenager? Or because as a child you were rebellious and you, you, you stole mom and dad's money and rebelled against mom and dad? Aren't you glad that God didn't just discard us when everybody else, everything else in the world would scream and point and say, that person's worthless, that person's value has no value. That person will never amount to anything. And isn't it amazing that God decided to say, no, 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 I see greatness. I see my image. My image is, it's marred a little bit by that foolishness. I see my image in him. I see my image in her. And they're making knuckleheaded decisions and, they're, and it doesn't look quite like it should right now, but I'm not quitting on them. This is the attitude that God is calling us to have toward one another. This change of perception doesn't change the truth, but it changes our reality. The difference between truth and reality is that truth doesn't change no matter what. It's always the same. Our reality is fluid. 70 degrees can feel really hot or really cold, depending on where you're from. It's really cold to you, or it's really hot to you. The truth is, it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit the way we measure it. But even the way we measure it doesn't change. If you're talking about it in Celsius, the temperature is still the temperature. So truth doesn't change. Reality, our, our perception of reality does. Being in Christ allows us to perceive these differences, to understand these differences, and to sow into the differences. So just to close, I started dreaming last night and this morning about what would be possible if we were able to regard one another in this way. What happens if, if as a church, if as a congregation, we're able to let God set our priorities and we let him live through us? And what happens if we allow God to change our perceptions and we allow him to change our understanding or change our reality? I believe we create a, an environment of mutual encouragement where we're able to inspire one another in Christ and call each other up and cheer each other on when there'd be no earthly reason to do so. 
Keith Temple's able to stand up and say, hey, if you're facing a tough circumstance, don't quit. Don't tap out. Charge into it. Because I see what Christ wants to do in you through this moment. Don't tap out. Don't quit. Don't run from it. Stand firm. Stand solid. Let Christ live through you in that moment so he can show off through you in it. kind of encouragement, I think there's a sense of belonging that comes. These are my people. You become my family. Not because I'm desperate for attention or affection. It's, it's something extra than that. It's something more special than that. It becomes a place where it's like, you know that Cheers theme song where everybody knows your name? I'm a good singer. But it becomes a place where you know that you belong. Where you, you know that even if you've got to get corrected, that you belong here and it's safe and it's, and it's, in, it's beneficial and it's encouraging and it's inspiring and it charges you up. These two things are a great recipe for growth. The growth I'm, I'm most excited about is yours. Normally when we think about growth, we think about our own, don't we? It's another one of those things. We, if I said, this is a year of growth, we'll be like, I'm going to grow. It's a year of financial blessing. You'd be like, it's for me. God wants to set you free. I'm going to be free. And it's good. Be free. Be growing. Be financially, you know, beneficial, benefited, whatever. Do those things. Hope for it. Enjoy it. Receive it. Walk in it. But I think what happens is we get more excited about other people's growth or as excited minimally about other people's growth as we do our own. I get excited for your opportunity more so or as much as my own. I get excited about your marriage more so or as much as my own. I get excited for your parenting more so or as much as my own. I get excited about your victories. I get excited for your families. I get excited about your ministry. I get excited about your neighbors. I get excited about you. I, I kind of live there. I'm, I, like, there's nothing more exciting to me. I love it when I can help somebody come to faith in Christ. I am more excited when you all lead somebody to Christ. I love my own quiet time, but I am built up and more inspired by, by, by Terry's quiet time. He brought up Psalm 135 to me today, and we talked about what David was talking about. He said, cry out to the Lord while he may be found. There's a time we learn through that psalm where it's too late to cry out to God. If, you're in the, if that thought worries you at all, it's not too late for you. He said, but the waters won't overtake you when they come. So cry out to him now so you can endure the wave that's coming. I'm as encouraged, if not more so, by his quiet time as I am my own. And this churning of faith and encouragement and life on life and cutting and, and, and agitation that happens as we do life together creates this growth. And then Christ is glorified. 
That's the greatest part of all of this. Is that God gets the honor and the glory that he is due. This isn't a sermon about trying to be a better person or deciding what's important to religious people and going and doing it or making up things about people that are nice. This is a message about allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us so that we can minister to one another. We can minister to a lost and dying world so that we can take on his priorities and do them according to his perfect motivation. And as we live this way together, family, what's going to happen is Christ is going to be lifted up. Christ is going to be glorified. And as Christ is glorified among us, unity is going to continue to grow. People will, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking about that Christmas Eve where six people got saved, but that could be the normal every single week. That could be the norm every single week. I'm actually, I'm more, more than just Sundays. I'm excited about hearing every single week from small groups that people are getting saved. Bringing your friend in, hey, I led my friend to Christ at Starbucks yesterday, even without a Christmas cup. <laughs> hey, I led my friend to Christ at IHOP the other day. That's what I'm excited about. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you.